Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church, uh, the, the podcast where we pepper Dave here with all kinds of questions about theology, faith, religion, the Bible, life, uh, relationships, everything. Romance. Really everything. Romance. 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 Yeah. All the things that you that. never felt comfortable asking in church, this is your podcast. <laughs> Don't you really want to talk to a pastor about romance? <laughs> Lining up for those counseling uh, sessions, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, the your, like, your office is going to be flooded. <laughs> it's easier to just write a book about and go, here, read this. <laughs> you don't want to have to talk about it. Uh, no, nah, but we thank you for listening today. And, and, and in all sincerity, this is the podcast where the questions that you have on God, life, Christianity, religion, theology, the Bible, whatever it happens to be, that maybe you feel awkward about asking in a church setting. Maybe if you don't know where to ask them. Maybe you're afraid that you're going to get judged by asking them. Maybe... Uh, you don't trust the answers that you're going to get in, in the, the certain locale that you happen to be in. Um, this is the place where we welcome those, and um, uh, we, we think that you should ask questions. We think that part of a spiritual journey is asking questions, and it's exactly what God wants you to be doing. So so start texting them in, 815-314-0363. Again, 815-314-0363. Um, we are also broadcasting on 216 The Net. You can join us on Facebook that way. We uh, we stream live, and you could post your questions that way or at Fellowship of Faith's Facebook page. Um Go to fellowshipoffaith.org, go to the FOF Plus page, or just search Fellowship of Faith on Facebook and you'll hit it. Any of those mechanisms will get your question to us. And we got a uh, we got an inbox that's loading up on us, don't we, Andrew? We do, yeah. We've got quite the list uh, forming here. So let's just jump into the first one. And this is, I think, a, a pivotal question in just Christianity and religion in general. Question. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, are we actually sure that Jesus and everyone in the Bible existed? What if it was just a man who randomly decided to write a book and told people these things were true and just started a religion by himself? Yeah, we are. And uh, the latter, man, that would suck. You know, yeah. well, <laughs> but at the same time, I still want to meet that guy because think about that. I mean, that's an incredible story. That's, that's to the write. Con job of history right there. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, I always uh, I always like to challenge the word certain. What does certain actually mean? Because at some level, everything in life brings with it a degree of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, we can push this into the nth degree. And there's, there's entire schools of philosophy. It's called epistemology, actually, um, that's dealt with how do we know what we know and what does certainty look like? And I, I mean, how? Do, okay, did you see that uh, Matrix Resurrection is no, coming out, no. like Matrix 4 or whatever it is? Um, is this another one we should we should see? Oh, I Matrix? don't know. I don't know. It's not out yet. We, it's not out yet. Okay. Any prior? Preview looks good, but okay. the preview can hold on anything, you know? <laughs> Okay. But, you know, kind of the standard old classic thing is like, uh, you know, even before the Matrix came out, how do you know that right now you're not in some 23rd century, uh, you're a 23rd century political prisoner um, hopped up on hallucinogenic drugs and, and not even experiencing realities? You know it. How do you simulation. know that you're not in the Matrix? You know, how do you know you're not in simulation? Um, how do you know you're not in some multiverse existence? I mean, at some level, um, what are we getting at at certainty? But I, I think what's so cool about Christianity, uh, the Bible, um, the testimony of Jesus teaching the early churches, th there is more testimony to this than anything else in ancient history. So if we are to believe anything with any degree of uh, credibility in ancient history, we've got to move Jesus and the Bible to the top. Um, with, with, with the rarest of exception, you, you will not find the most um, uh, anti-Christian atheist scholar or professor or, or, or historian denying the existence of Jesus. Um, of course, what you say about Jesus, what you believe about Jesus, then becomes somewhat debated more. But uh, the testimony to what he said is so widely tested. It's crazy. But but yeah, I know. I get it. I appreciate the question because, man, who hasn't had that fear sometime of going, man, what if this is all just made up? Or what if this has been distorted throughout history? What if What if this really is the biggest con job of all? And the good news is there is so much resource that if you're willing to dig and willing to read, that I think will bring far more assurance to the question you have than it will doubt to what you're wondering about. Yeah. That question yeah. reminds me of, you remember the the movie, The Truman Show? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. I need to rewatch that, It's man. such a it's good great. movie. Wait, wait, wait we're agreeing on a movie. Yes, Steve? yes. Wow, look at that. Momentous right. occasion. Maybe, maybe you can come over and watch it. We'll watch it together. We should. We should. <laughs> that Sweet Tooth, right? Sweet, you, we so sweet, sweet Tooth, I'm telling you, everybody, you need to go watch the show because <laughs> the only reason I, I stumbled insane. upon it was, you know, you get the Netflix thing, you see, you know, the, <laughs> right, little, right. the little commercials for things. I'm like, 
I see this stupid little like baby thing that's half yeah, human, half animal. Yeah, right, right. Well, but it's so weird. And I'm like, okay, I've just got to press play you just to, to see yeah. how dumb this thing really is. Lo and behold, like I'm in love with this series. <laughs> so go watch Sweet Tooth. It's so good. Right, it's so, so good. Show in Sweet Tooth, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you ever have that? You know, back to that epistemological question. Like, like, what if you're in the Truman Show right now? What if that just like. Like, what do you what do you do with that? My life isn't well, happy enough for that. I feel like everything went <laughs> well in his life. <laughs> yeah, right. But right. at the same time, though, if you think about it, like God gave us free will. That's the difference between, I think, the Truman Show and what God is, how he has created us to live our own lives, make our own choices, have our own freedoms and still suffer the consequences, good or bad. Right. Truman Show, they really he didn't really have that option. I mean, everything was made for him and pre-planned. He had it within a constraint or a construct. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. My favorite was when things went wrong in that show, like a light falls down from the ceiling. <laughs> from the tech yeah. side of yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or when he and how actually they cover at the, those up. Actually at the end when he runs into the side of like the, the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> no, spoiler. Yeah. Go watch it. <laughs> All right, questions to 815-314-0363. Speaking of free will, we have one here about free will. So without using free will in air quotes, how is Christianity credible when it's full of hypocrites and evildoers? Mm. You you know, that's interesting. That's like saying that word credible is in there. I I think it's a false question. And, And I appreciate you asking it, but it's very akin to saying something like this. Without using addition, how can you make this math problem work? Well, the reality is there is addition, and that's why the math problem works. So likewise, yes, Christianity is filled with hypocrites and who else? Evildoers. And evildoers. Christianity is filled with hypocrites and evildoers. And uh, you know what the reality is? Non-Christianity is filled with hypocrites and evildoers. The difference about Christianity is it actually identifies hypocrisy and evil for what it is. Outside of Christianity or outside of a theistic religion, it becomes far harder to actually identify evil as evil or hypocrisy as hypocrisy. Because without a transcendent standard or a divine standard or or a standard that is from a power or a being that is transcendent over you, all you're left is with your own personal opinion. And in my own personal opinion, if I don't think this is evil or if I think this is okay or if I think it's justifiable, who are you to tell me otherwise? Likewise, when evil actually happens, I can't actually identify something as bad. All I can say is I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing fundamentally wrong with something if you don't have a higher truth or standard that delineates that. So, uh, yeah, not denying in any way the, the ongoing and epidemic problem of hypocrisy <clears throat> and um, evilness that exists in religion and non-religion of every stripe and variety, Christianity included. But a healthy church will always identify it and be humble in their own approach. And the joy of Christianity, counter to what I think most misconception is, is that Christianity actually invites hypocrites and evildoers to be a part of its community. Because it sees the entire faith system um, as a process or the entire life, your entire life as a process of moving from hypocrisy and evil doing to what it will call righteousness, holiness, uh, God-pleasingness, God-likeness, Christ-likeness. You know, there's different phrases that's given to that. And it, and it practices just a lot of patience with people knowing that it is a process. It's kind of like, would you go to a health club and expect everyone there to be like, you know, 8% body fat, completely ripped and benching 250 pounds? No, you go to a health club to get strong. You go to a hospital to get well. Jesus invites people. He says, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. That's his words, not mine, right? So um, maybe that'll help kind of... Um, and just some of your thinking on nature of what Christianity is about and, and the way it goes about dealing with the, quote, problem. Um, and, and certainly keeping free will the important part of the equation. However, I will add one more thing to that. Let's say we did remove free will from the equation, just hypothetically. Let's remove free will from the, uh, from the um, equation. It doesn't necessarily change anything. And here's why. Because when a person typically talks about free will, I think they automatically assume that they would choose good. I don't think that the natural inclination of the human heart is to choose good. 
I think people naturally choose evil and without free will, you would just be in that path anyway. Uh, that, that would be your fate because of your own human corruption. Um, I don't know. I, w- I guess I want to push back on that because I don't know if it's necessarily choosing evil all the time. It would be choosing what benefits you the most. Fair enough. Or choosing can I throw what something... benefits you the most, which often, often. Yeah. Or can you, could you say what, what is most natural to you? Meaning it's much more natural for me to think evil thoughts, to do evil deeds mm-hmm. to, than it is to, mm, I really have to think about doing the good stuff. So it's, it's easier for me just to slide into easy sin, you know, the language that I use, the thoughts that I have, the lust thoughts that I have, the, uh, the anger as I'm driving. I mean, those are like natural reactions. Exactly. Versus thinking outside of, hmm, you know what? I, I, I'm not thinking about that guy who's ahead of me, who's not going for some reason to say, oh, I wonder how that guy's doing today. I mean, the moral code of Jesus <laughs> and the Bible is a direct challenge to the natural human inclination. It calls always for, for, for denying certain impulses, for sacrificing certain desires, for uh, seeking and achieving something that isn't natural, if I can put it that way. Um, and, and this is why the transformation of God's spirit in your life is so essential because in any way to move from doing this by an act of the will, which you can do for a short period of time, but it really doesn't last, to making this a natural part of your life requires by argument God actually changing the nature of who you are. Well, and two, I I think to go back to the original question, first I would want to know what moral authority are you, are you referencing here? Because I think that's going to change how we answer this and change really the question that you're asking, which is, okay, so where, where's your, what's, what basis are you playing off of? Because if it's your own moral authority, well, then anything goes, anything goes, if it's there is no, moral there is authority, no authority, anything goes. And there we, is we know no how deep and if dark it's just your is. own. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So it's God's moral authority. What yeah. he's laid before us, that's the standard here. And then of course we can debate and talk about how we know God's moral authority, what God's moral authority happens to be. <clears throat> of course, there's much commonality around the world on this and there's certain division on this. And that's where, we, we bring together our theologians and our ethicists and everyone else to kind of work through these things and people come up with different, you know, processes. But, but I think it's, yeah, just a great mistake to throw out the idea of any moral authority whatsoever because there is distinction or division at certain levels and on certain questions about sure. how to best please God and right. follow his will for our lives in this world. Yeah. So yeah. What would you say to someone who says, well, we don't need a, you know, a biblical morality or higher morality you know, society dictates that because I think that's where a lot of people are at of like, well, this is socially acceptable. So it must be morally right or morally good. Yeah. I would just simply say, watch more sweet tooth. Yep. (laughs) Get your more morality from sweet tooth. (laughs) The apocalyptic. What's crazy is that this actually, it was done in 2021. So it comes after the whole pandemic piece. And so that's Mm why, I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Go no, watch no, Sweet Tooth. Just watch Sweet Tooth. <laughs> just watch yeah. Sweet Tooth. Yeah. Get your antlers, yeah. put them on. Yeah. Put your face <laughs> and watch Sweet Tooth. Going yeah. back to your to your thought on that, it's like, well, you don't have to really go that far to uh, disprove basing morality on our social concepts, which is, mm-hmm. well, get two people. Go, go choose any two people, and you're automatically going to have disagreements. Mm-hmm. So it's like, put that on like a larger like scale. Like a social majority. I guess, like a majority rules type thing. Yeah, and I don't even know that there is such a thing. Well, and to your question, Andrew, I mean, yeah, I mean, history is filled with societies and cultures mm-hmm. creating social standards, dictating what is right and wrong. But even even the state or the culture needs to be subject to a higher authority. The alternative is called fascism. Uh, when the state is the highest good and dictates what's right and wrong, and that becomes the standard of what is good and evil or what conduct is, uh, no, that, that, that's, that's literally called fascism. Yeah. And uh, we have plenty of examples throughout history of how groupthink and uh, a powerful minority or a, a vocal group can create a quote-unquote moral system mm-hmm that most reasonable people would look like, look at and go, this isn't moral at all. Right. Right. 
But we should be aware of how we're affected by how we buy into our own nation and cultures. Imposition of that as well. Group think mentality. Yeah, as well. absolutely. Absolutely. We're all that susceptible. Can, that can plague uh, any group. I mean, obviously any group you're a part of because it's in the name, but like churches all have their own individual identities and those can become toxic or skewed in certain ways. Sure. Sure. Churches, easily. companies, mm-hmm. families, communities, sports teams. I, I mean, any kind of organization among people, uh, friend groups on, on Facebook. I mean, you know, any way you form a community. Yeah, yep. it'll creep in. Yeah, yep. great. Guys, great questions here. Uh, text them in to 815-314-0363 or post them on the Facebook page at 216 The Net or Fellowship of Faith. Yeah, we're reading right now just these, well, one of the questions. Steve, is he says, uh, Elon Musk in the house, question mark. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Steve, you're going to have to help us <laughs> expand out Expand on that, buddy. Expand. Yeah, expand on that because... Yeah, because no, to our knowledge, Elon Musk is certainly not in the studio right now. <laughs> and uh, if you're listening, Elon, please text in because we would love a question from, from Elon Musk here today. I know and, we've uh, talked about him a couple times in past episodes. We have. So that might we be have. Uh, referencing. See, I'm going to say Elon Musk in the house. No, Elon Musk in space. Elon Musk yeah. in space. Yeah. He was an Iron Man too, wasn't he? Yeah, I don't. Or three? Don't know that. He was in an episode of The Big Bang. Oh, I remember that. Okay. The Living on a Matrix. I see. Oh, uh, okay. He thinks that we're all in a simulation. Yeah, Elon Musk is uh, pulling the strings on this one, huh? All right, all right. <laughs> the puppeteer. Gotta love the conspiracy theories. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Big shout uh, out to we're, you. We're changing the name of the show. Yeah. We're just delving hard into the uh, conspiracy theories. <laughs> well, ask about them, though. Yeah. True. It's fun. Ask us questions. And, and a lot of people have questions about them, and they're afraid to ask. And uh, um, as long as they're in, in some way related to spirituality, Christianity, history of the church, something like that, we'll, uh, we'll love to field them for you. I got asked a, a question the other day. Would Jesus have gotten the vaccine? <laughs> That's a great question. Mm. Would Jesus have gotten the vaccine? How'd I don't know that he would have needed to. <laughs> well, so if you're watching on YouTube, sorry, we're going to get that one. That one's done. But. Did I just ruin our show? No, no. I, <laughs> it wasn't me that say I just got asked. No, the I, no. I, you I know just, what? Any question goes. So it's not a medical show. We just there's no medical opinion. I, I love how everyone's getting like so cautious over here on this side of the room. <laughs> feeling like we, got we just don't want the. Well, I have to look at Ken because That's he right. schooled me on the on the mustache That's of right. the things that I that we clearly couldn't That's say. Right. And then what do I do? I say the words. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, really? You're I can't say that. So the, yeah. the bots out there. All right, so Steve, let me challenge you on this because you said something about Jesus that he probably wouldn't need to. That seems to assume to me that you see Jesus as being more divine than human and not susceptible to the same things that the rest of humanity is susceptible to. Oh my to. gosh, here we go. In hypothetical realm. Well, um, I haven't given the question a lot of thought, but um, to me, Jesus did a lot of healing in the Bible. Can he not heal himself? He saved others. Why can't he save himself? If he is the Christ, let him come down from the cross. That's the exact first century challenge. I mean, he kissed kissed a leper, right? Didn't get leprosy. True. Yep. True. So I would say, no, he's more divine than I would, most people give him credit for. And I would say that probably out of anybody, he has the most amount of antibodies to any disease that is out there. (laughs) So there you go. There's my answer. (laughs) And disease of the world. Anything. He is immune. Uh, I fundamentally don't know if Jesus would have gotten the vaccine or not. And listeners can come in and challenge on various points and we can entertain that. But I'll tell you what Jesus would do. He'd be out among the people who have COVID nineteen. He wouldn't be hiding from them. True. Great point. Yeah. Fear is a liar. Yeah. Zach Williams. I just saw him in concert the other night. Zach Williams. Uh, yeah. Mm, yeah. It was great. Like that dude. Um, we want to talk about real, but we also saw We the Kingdom too. Okay. Which was even again. Yeah. I, I actually I, I think Zach Williams the musicianship within that band is incredible. Mm. We the Kingdom not as much. But put on the better show. Show, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very fun though. Gr- great concert. Where'd you see to. it? Where'd you go? Um, it was at uh, uh, Life Changers Church. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. down in Hoffman Estates. Huge, huge there. place. Yeah, yeah, nine beautiful place. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, they did. They did great at organizing it. Oh, so, fantastic! Super. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. All, All right. right, questions eight one five three one four zero three six three. Let's jump into another one, and I think this. I have two that I think came to, back to back, but they aren't together on my sheet, so I'm going to try to 
pair them together. We'll see if it's right. But uh, if you were one of the 12 that walked with Christ, what would your reaction have been when you witnessed one of the miracles? Would you have believed? What would the conversation have been around the, around the fire that night? Man, that's a great question. You know, I, I don't know because when you read the gospel accounts of those original followers of Jesus, they're always kind of like in this state of wonder and awe. You know, like Jesus does something and it's like, it's always catching them by surprise. We as the reader are like, how are you not catching on already? But of course, we've already read the punchline. We've already been through the whole narrative. We're kind of outside of it. You know, for them walking alongside of him, I mean, they're constantly just being blown away going, wow, like he can do this. He can do this. He can do this. Because there's this unfolding that, that Jesus almost seems to be making with his followers where he's revealing more and more of, of the like power, the authority, and the yeah. nature of who he is. And in fact, Jesus is even notable so much for veiling his power and his glory. And when people get glimpses of it, uh, Mark especially is filled with this, but you could read it in all the Gospels going, shut up, man, don't tell anyone, right? Um, it's called the Messianic Secret in theology. And, uh, and, and it makes it hard to answer because I, I think we often kind of think, yeah, you know, if I was there, I would have been so... Nah, you know what? I'm just like every other person who's ever lived. Uh, if I was there, I'd have probably been in the same thing of like wonder and awe, starting to second guess. Wait, did I really see that? Did he really do that? Was there like smoke and mirrors somewhere? Or what else can he do? Or how did he make it happen? You know, I'm sure we'd go through the full gamut. But I mean, the longer you follow him, the more you seem to start knowing him, discovering him and trusting him. And so I think, am I following them for one day? Am I following them for three years? All of these are, are, are pertinent questions to the question. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'd love to be a part of that campfire discussion though. Yeah. And you know, just so as you were speaking, I just had a thought because as Christians, we're called to love our neighbors, which probably includes telling them who Jesus is, you know, if they mm -hmm. don't know. But I think so often Christians probably, they, you just got to believe you know, I mean, mm. at some point, you know, you try and rationalize so many things and you try and, you know, convince them as, as if Jesus, Jesus needed a lawyer, you know, to present a case to them. <laughs> right, right. But realistically, from your point right there where you're like, Jesus could have just said, look, little idiots, believe this. I'm God. <laughs> just believe me. But he didn't. He was he was showing them. And I think that's where Christians today, that's where we get caught up in. We're not. We love to just spew stuff. We love yeah, to just right, talk right, stuff, right. you know, instead of actually living out what Jesus is calling us to live out and then being an example for others to see. And that's what he did. What I love about him, too, though, is like every time his disciples would come against him, he's just like kind of like in dis Jesus is in disbelief going, how do you seriously not get this at this point? You know, or or like how without how using the word idiots this? like I just did. Yeah, like, nah, he might have. Modern, modern day, modern day. Modern day. You know, I don't think we're getting like full verbatim transcripts here from Matthew, though, Mark, Luke, and John of Old Testament <laughs> word of idiot. Oh man, but I hate that. Like when when modern translations soften the language on stuff. Yes. You know, it's just like let 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 them stand in all its raw glory. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. We're kind of related to. There's the follow-up question, but I'm going to skip ahead to kind of what you were saying, because this one, I think, is close to that. Are Christians called to speak the truth in love, in air quotes, i.e. call people out on sin, or are we supposed to live the truth in our lives and hope that it shows Christ's love in that way? Mm. So like you were talking about, you should be living it out. Stop talking about it and live it out. Um, yeah. And the answer is yes, mm -hmm. but it's a qualified yes. Mm -hmm. Are Christians called to speak the truth in love? Absolutely. It's quoting, um, I believe, Ephesians there, um, Ephesians chapter four, if, I'm, if memory is serving me correctly, but you can uh, fact check that and verify it. Nonetheless, it's a, it's a Pauline epistle, um, uh, one of the prison letters uh, where he says, speak the truth in love. So I mean, so, and that's de facto, that, that, that's automatic. But then the such as that's presented here is calling people out on their sin. And that's where I want to qualify it. Because I think some Christians fall into the trap of, of feeling far more concerned with calling non-Christians out on their sin than fellow believers out on their sin. And I love the discussion that Paul has in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, for example, where he says, why are you judging the world? You know, what do you have to do with the world? Mm. Uh, don't judge them, but no, you need to be holding each other. You, you who are brothers and sisters in Christ, or you who are fellow Christians in community, holding each other 
into account. And sometimes I think that gets very misdirected Mm -hmm. where we have a lot more grace towards other in the Christian fold than we do to those in the world, where I think the way of Jesus actually is opposite of that. I I think we're called to have, of course, uh, imminent grace for everyone, but I think there's a a call to be far more patient with people who don't know Christ and people who are of, quote, the world, to use biblical terminology, than our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who we're called to go to and gently, respectfully, humbly address the sin in their life. Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault. Now, interestingly, there's a text variant there, and it's the only text variant that matters one bit in the whole gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 18. A lot of the manuscripts say, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault. All right? It's like kind of the first step. Some of the manuscript traditions say, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Well, that one kind of matters. You know, because where and to what degree am I called? Unfortunately, there's a Bible that's bigger than one verse that we can gain wisdom from in that. But it nonetheless brings us back to the same fundamental conclusion that there is actually an an obligation in obedience to Christ to address sin in each other's life just as long as we're doing it right for those who are brothers or sisters in Christ. But in no way should any of this be seen as an either or or antithetical to living out our faith. It is absolutely both. And um, let's just make sure we don't forget Jesus' sage wisdom in in Matthew chapter 6 where he goes, um, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you got a beam or a plank or a log or whatever your translation says hanging out of your own. I got this picture like this two by four jump, yeah, yeah. like three foot piece, like <laughs> yeah. splinter, like hanging out of piece, you know, yeah. you can't eye. even see it or remove the, <clears throat> the like, sliver out of your brother's And eye. Jesus himself says, you hypocrite first get right. the, the log out of your own eye. And, and then you'll be able to get the speck out of your brother's eye. The point of getting the log out of your own eye is to see clearly to help others so that you can remove specks. And people distort that all the time too, mm-hmm. thinking, no, just be concerned with myself. That's not what it says. Yeah. So we got to hold these things in tension with each other. And of course, back to our discussion on wisdom from you know previous episodes, um, let that guide the path and the process of the details of how we contextualize it. Yeah. And unfortunately for just from my experience, you know, I've, I've been in ministry for church work, let's say for 17 years now. Wow. That my craziness. Man. It you is. Are old. It is. You are old. Uh, thanks. It's wisdom. Yeah. yeah. With, yeah I'm seeing with, with age. There, I know it it's really like is. Dude. Like <laughs> you just start shaving. So it's like, at oh, one yeah. point I was actually <laughs> plucking gray hairs and then I'm like, I forget it. There's I'm busy. Many, yeah. I'll, I'll be here all night. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So anyway, you patches, man, you got <laughs> patches. <laughs> uh, that's a great one. I've never heard that before. But patches. Um, where was I going? Okay. So sweet tooth, man, you go nope, sweet tooth. Nope. I know where I'm at now. So the point being is, is that out of that 17 years of, of ministry, you see a lot of things, right? Good yeah. and bad. Yeah, you do. And, you do. and unfortunately, the one of the, the sad things about it is, is that any time that you try and go through that process, sometimes people take offense to it. Like you're like you're challenging them and and it is it, it's not a challenge in love. And so then therefore you have to think, man, are you really that insecure of, of a brother in Christ that? that this is really offending you, even though this is a biblical piece that it's like, look, if I'm seeing my brother fall in some way, then I, I definitely want to try and help you re recorrect yourself on the path, you know? So, but unfortunately it's um, depending on the, the nature or the status of where they're at in the hierarchy of the church organization. Well, who are you to tell me that, you know? And it's like, I don't care what your position is. I'm a, I'm a brother exactly. in Christ. Okay. So let me ask you guys, have you ever experienced it on the giving or receiving end where it went well? Um, no, no, no. I, well, well, and who's a, from my pers- own personal pers- perspective, I, I would define well as overall simply being that, that what it led to was some kind of repentance, course, correction, mutual humility, reconciliation, um, that, 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 that something damaging was addressed and the relationship got closer as a result because there was more honesty about what was being dealt with and a striving towards fixing and correcting the, the sin issue and the life 
in unity with each other. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, unfortunately, I would probably say out of, you know, if, if we're going by percentages, um, out of the total that I've maybe been a part of on, on both sides of that, um, I would probably say 90% or, or didn't end well. 10% yeah. probably did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's so hard. How about you, Andrew? Yeah, I have one example come to mind that it things got better after that. Okay. Um, but it was a situation where this person had mentioned this to me before of like, hey, you know, I have a tendency to do this, you know, call me out on it if, if you notice that. So mm. I was like, that's happening. I'm going to say something about it. Yeah. Um, so that was helpful because it, it wasn't un, unwarranted, I guess, or un, unsolicited um, but I as think, far as helping. So that. was this example that you're giving, was it them initially reaching out to you or others to say, hey, this is this is something that I am struggling with or, you know, need to try and steer away from. So if you do see it, let me know versus um, one person that... M- probably knows that they're struggling with this, but doesn't want it out and about. And so then when you recognize this and you confront them about it, then it's this pull back, who are you defensive posture type piece. Yeah. Cause if they haven't accepted that themselves or been vulnerable enough with themselves about that, then it's hard to hear it from someone mm-hmm. else. Yeah. 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 I've certainly experienced that. Well, it's difficult for me to quantify. I don't know if I'd go as high as 90, 10, mm. but I will tell you this. I have been on the receiving end of it before. Mm. And when it's come, there's been some people that's come from in my life who really did it in, 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 in like this, this truth and love kind of way. And I knew they had my best interest at heart and I knew they cared about me. And yet they were brutally honest with me um, in a respectful way, of course, in a way that was for my future well-being and things like that. And I tell you, those have become some of the people that I've come to respect most in my life because... Uh, there's a lot of people in this world that'll tell you what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that'll affirm you, even if they don't secretly think that inside. And then there's kind of a duplicity in that relationship. But the people who have loved me and actually taken the time to do that with me and done it the right way, it's it's been powerful. And to this day, there's some of the people that have impacted me and I admire the most. Yeah. 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 I would say like my closest couple of friends are ones who can call me out on that. Yeah. And it's just, it's that type of relationship that we have that we, we don't try to, you know, tiptoe around issues or anything. It's like, Hey, right. why are you doing this? Right. And it, it, it's a huge blessing, I think in, in all of our lives. Yeah. We, that. we need it. Right. Personal story. Mm. Can I get into it? Yeah. Okay. So I remember in this, this is, uh, this is why I love my wife so much where, where I was kind of now into again, 17 years, um, into the realm of now I'm, I'm really doing full-time ministry in, in, in what I thought was full-time ministry, which I'm now a, an officially a quote unquote worship leader, yeah. you know, whatever that means, whatever that means right? in, in whatever circle that, you know, you, you come from. But in, in this particular circle, I was leading, um, music and, and, um, for a church and, um, through this process, you know, here I am, you know, I'm talking to people about Christ, I'm leading people in worship and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, I'm presenting this false image of, oh, well, because I am who I am in the in this position, Mm -hmm. um, then therefore, I must be doing all these other things correctly. Well, Barbie called me out on that. Hmm. And she's like, you know, you're up there, you know, and you're, you're telling people this and you're, you're telling people this and you're saying you're doing this, but at home, you're not doing any of this. Hmm. Wow. You know, hmm. to have your wife tell you that <laughs> yeah. and call you out on yeah. that, which probably was the, one of the best things that's ever happened in my yeah. life. Yeah. It was really a punch in the gut, Yeah, but a call to reality to say, you know what? You're completely right. I'm not doing this. I am a hypocrite. I am, uh, falsely living this image of what a worship leader, quote unquote, is supposed to be, you know? So it's like, um, until you get your own house in order, I don't know that you really have any, uh, I don't know that you really should be doing ministry. And so at that point, I I feel like looking back at that, it was, it was premature. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have been in that position, you know? 
um, because my my own home home was in order. I wasn't leading as a as how God wanted me to lead my own family, my kids, my wife, you know, all all that yeah. thing, all those things. And so it's like I'm just so happy that she was honest with me and knew that she could do it in a loving way, but a firm way. And so. Barbie, if you're out there, thank you. Shout out to Barbie. All right. Fellowship of Faith thanks you, Barbie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think if if I go back to this question a little bit, it it seems to be uh, phrased as like speaking the truth in love as a way of evangelism, which I think is kind of what you touched on of this is that phrase is used for talking to brothers and sisters in Christ who you're in relationship with. It's not necessarily for going and yelling out on the streets, all you sinners, God loves, like, I don't, I don't, it's, that's not how evangelism should work. I don't think in that context, I don't know if I'm reading into that too much. I mean, possibly, but I certainly think it applies. I mean, it's, it's, we've talked a lot about in the relationship of, of issues or, or conflict or something that's been, um, that's dividing people within the Christian community. But I really think it's, intended for all conversations and all relationships in life. Um, yeah. 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 Great question. And guys, you can text them into 815-314-0363. Again, that's 815-314-0363. Catch us on 216 The Net. Catch us at Fellowship of Faith. Visit us at fellowshipoffaith.org. Um, we, uh, we broadcast live every Wednesday at 1230 p.m. Central Time. And um, our, our church service at Fellowship of Faith, we're on staff there. I'm the pastor there. And uh, Andrew's our technical director. Steve's our worship director. We do 10 a.m. every Sunday morning, Central Time as well. You can catch us there at well. You can catch past episodes of questions you never thought you could ask in church off our website. Just go to the podcast. You, you can subscribe through your favorite podcast provider, uh, you know, whichever one you happen to be using, and you'll find us. And, uh, yeah, just thank you for the questions. We're, we're happy to, uh, to do what we can to help you in your spiritual journey. Andrew, what do we got? Well, one other thing, too. Oh, one other right? thing. Okay, that, Kent. That phone number, 815-314-0363, is open 24-7. Oh, yeah, thank so you. if you're thank hanging you. out in traffic and a, a question comes to mind, text it in. Yeah. Even if it's a Monday late at night. Or if right. like you're like, like oh, well, I know you were up early this morning. Yeah. You don't sleep. I typically don't sleep because my mind is running, mm-hmm. you know, 100 yeah. miles an hour thinking yeah. about different stuff. So if that's you too, and you wake up at 3 a.m. or you're still up at 3 a.m. and you have this And you're this watching question, Sweet Tooth. You're watching Sweet Tooth. Comes up, yeah, but then, you right. know, it, it comes to an end and you're like, now what do I do with my life? Ah, I want to text these guys. <laughs> yep. Yep. They go to our <laughs> inbox and, and, and we just start working the inbox every single week. We can't always get to your question that same week. We do our best, but uh, don't worry. We will get to it eventually. Um, we don't leave any, uh, let, let, you know, hanging out there, so to speak. I can't imagine falling asleep with sweet tooth playing well i wouldn't what, fall asleep how with it. it would like mess with your mind like drifting in and out of sleep with half human half animal animals animals. i haven't seen it but little, i can imagine that'd be weird little deer boys running around <laughs> it's, it's so weird <laughs> all right so you know that place like right before you wake up it's like that pseudo sleep or whatever you're yeah. like half sleep half mm-hmm. wake where you can still kind of like remember your dreams yeah so i had this weirdest dream about my oldest daughter raven last night and basically we're like we're raising like goldfish in like this like giant fish bowl it's like i call it an aquarium but that's almost like over stating it okay. and like i walk in and and apparently we've been raising these things for months how do i know that i don't know but, but these are like the, the like big koi fish at this point we're not talking little goldfish right and she's sitting there and she's eating one but she's eating it like gollum would eat it where she's just like picking she it up singing? like sushi style like just like biting into it and like like eating it. i'm like reagan is that dead Oh. And, and she didn't like really, really know. And, and she's like eating our, our like goldfish. And it was like, the most surreal. Disturb- so, so Reagan, if you're listening to the show today, just, just please don't do n- it. No, don't, no. Don't do All right. And uh, where that came from. You don't know. I have no clue. But let me ask but you it's this. It's a vivid image. I just see the gold. Like these. And you know what it was? It was, it was, you know, what was more disturbing than like eating the pet. It was just disgusting. It was just <laughs> <laughs> out, like <laughs> disgusting. But let me ask you guys this, and anybody out there, really, and if you want to respond, respond. Do you have, like, I have dreams from my childhood that I still have today. Yeah. yeah. How crazy is that? Right, right. Why does your mind work like that? At I, yeah, no clue. 
And I know from my childhood what movie I or story I just read because of this this recurring dream. Okay. What's uh, your recurring dream? It's Jack and the Beanstalk. You, like literally like play-by-play Jack are, and the Beanstalk? Are, are, no. Are you Jack? No. Are you Jack? No. Yeah. So the dream starts. My whole He's family. People just climb it all. My whole family is running through the grass. And when I say that, think of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Okay. So grass is super tall, but yeah, it's really yeah, it's not. So, scale, right? But we all have a spoon in our hands for some reason. Each one of us has our own spoon. I'm running because there's this big monster wolf that's chasing us. And so I accidentally drop my spoon and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm dead. You know, my dad all of a sudden comes, swoops <laughs> me up, picks up my spoon and we run we, and we, out, we outrun the wolf or whatever it is. And so then we get to this large castle or house because we're tiny. <laughs> we go under the door because we can fit under the door yeah, of yeah. The, the crack. And then we're looking around in this place. And remember those bird cages that are suspended that's got, mm-hmm. you know, the drapery over yeah, the top? Yeah, right, right. We somehow get up into that. Okay. So now we're hiding from this wolf in this. We think we're safe. Well, then lo and behold, you hear opening. It's the door opening. Well, guess what? It's probably the wolf. And then we hear him kind of rummaging around a little bit. And then the dream ends every time with him. <laughs> peeking through that overlay of the, the birdcage and right. it's done so it had to have been jack and the beanstalk it's right? totally unresolved yeah. yeah jack and the beanstalk meets big bad wolf, wolf meets every kind of you know if you're a Jungian psychologist out there i mean we, we have me some out. dream interpretation yeah. please here for please Steve text Wells, your you know? dream interpretation yeah. to yeah. 815-314-0363 well that, that i mean that makes me think now of dreams in the bible yeah, like how God used interpretation. dream interpretation and just dreams and visions many times throughout Scripture. So what does, does that he mean? still use that? Today? What does that mean then, Andrew? And, and you know, and quite honestly, he does. And I've seen this especially in Muslim communities, yes, where uh, or, or you know, even to expand it beyond a certain religious persuasion, but Middle Eastern cultures and communities where so many people who have become Christians from Middle Eastern contexts, dreams or visions have at some point played a role. I'm not going to say that's universally true. I'm not even going to try to quantify in majority. Anecdotally, it's just something I've heard again and again, both personally, but also from people who uh, work in these communities. And I've been friends with, with many who have, yeah, um, or who used to be Muslim and become Christian. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. So God's alive and well on the dream front. I would say I don't have a recurring dream, but I have a recurring environment where dreams happen. So it's like a park from my childhood, but all of the buildings are ele- like my elementary school buildings. So, so you're talking at the park. You're not talking if you're in the environment you dream like. So if you're sleeping in the park, you'll have dreams. No, no. You're talking, this is like okay. where, the, where the dreams Get out of the park. Yeah, I'm sleeping in the park, man. I don't know what's going on in that park. House. Uh, I don't know why I'm not. What passing out in the park. But it's like an amalgamation of different times and locations from my life into one setting. Because, like, there's teachers from my elementary school that are there, but they're not, like, my mind knows that they're not my teachers. Mm-hmm. It, and, like, it's always different dreams, but they happen in the same location. And I just, I don't huh, understand. Weird. But at the time, I'm like, this makes total sense. Yeah. What I'm really hoping is, is that we don't, some of us don't have, like, these far-suppressed memories that are going to come <laughs> up and be like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to start crying right now because this happened to me. <laughs> yeah, right. On the show. <laughs> On the you show. Know, Steve's just bawling right here. We don't know why. You don't understand. <laughs> Do you have a dream interpreter uh, podcaster? On twenty one six, we need that show. We, we could, a, yeah, we could, uh, we could ask Lisa or Lana. Yeah, well, yeah I'd be interested to see dreams, what they right? say about it. Yeah, <laughs> Lisa's changing perceptions would be a good oh. one. <laughs> there you go, Kayla from Nebraska. Yes, we love Barbie. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you, Kayla from Nebraska. All, All right. right. Well, here's another question: How is God a loving God and a just God? There is a dichotomy between the two, especially in the Old Testament. For example, in Exodus, God and Moses have the Levites kill 3,000 other Jews because of their idolatry. While just, how is that acting the loving one? Yeah, there's there's a couple ways I'd like to approach this and help you think through the question. It's, it's really a great one, and I always appreciate these, what I would call, foundational or fundamental questions um, about God and just philosophy of life and things like that. 
I think one place to maybe start as you wrestle through this is to ask yourself the exact same question. How can you be loving and just? Because you certainly can be. And you've certainly experienced both in the way that you try to conduct yourself with those in your life, particularly maybe those who are in peer relationships or subordinate relationships underneath you in difficult decisions. And from there, you can extrapolate how God can do it better. At some level, there is a paradox here, and, and, and it is going to be somewhat mysterious. And certainly, it is going to be difficult for us to apprehend um, how God chooses to act in a particular situation at one time and, and not in another. And a lot of that simply isn't revealed. But I think we can apprehend it because we can see how we or others in our lives have had to do the exact same thing, where none of us is formulaic, so to speak, and the way that we often ask. A second thing that I'd like to bring up in relation to this is that just justice is an act of love. Justice is not about revenge. Pure justice is always meant to be an act of love. And sometimes that act of love is not towards the person receiving justice, but towards the greater community and, 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 and field of impact that that person finds themselves affecting. So criminal justice should be motivated by the fact of loving society so as to protect society from injustice that's meted out against them. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, at least in its pure form. Is, is it done well? No. No. Is, is it done perfectly? No, of course not. Um, but at least that's the, the ideal for which it's, it, it's striving. And so we see these examples in the Bible of God meeting out justice in, in, in oftentimes harsh ways actually, or we get examples at least at times that are harsh. Um, and it makes you feel like, oh, but if God is truly loving and just, it's motivated out of love for a greater good. I'll take it even a step further though. Many times the justice we face by the hands of God is even meant for our own good. Because sometimes things have to escalate in our lives, like we talked earlier, where we have to face the account of things for us to ever deal with the corruption of heart and the path of life that we're journeying down. I, I like particularly how Revelation 16 plays with this idea, where the section is often described as the bowls of God's wrath, that God's wrath is being poured out. And it's being poured out through these various afflictions. And, and of course, this is all highly symbolic and it's all very metaphorical of, of what's happening here. But it's being poured out, so to speak, but there's always this refrain that comes along after the affliction is poured out that the people still would not repent. So God pours out another bowl and it says they would even gnaw their tongues in agony. But even in that place, they still would not repent. And you almost get between the lines, this scene of God trying to go, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to wake you up. I'm trying to get you to turn from this path that you're on. And if you would, it would, you know, dot, 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 dot but they don't. And so maybe that's some food for thought to help you navigate it. Simply put, the revelation of Christ is that God is perfectly loving, that God is perfectly just. And in, in some kind of mysterious ways, we're invited to accept and believe that. But, but hopefully that can help you navigate through thinking out some of how those two interplay and coming to terms with it, mm -hmm. you know, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Uh... If Jesus returned without a rapture, would any Christian believe or even know? So if Jesus returned without a rapture, would any Christian believe or know? Mm. Yes, <clears throat> because Jesus will return without a rapture, at least in the way that the terminology rapture is, is often used or assumed. And it says that when he returns, everyone will know. Rapture is a term that you won't find specifically mentioned in the Bible, but it's used to refer to a certain theological system regarding the end times. And the more common one that you see popularized in like movies, uh, movies or books like the Left Behind series from the early 2000s and, and uh, you know, dispensational theology and things like this is that there's going to be a secret return of Jesus 
after which all believers in Christ will secretly be taken up from earth to heaven. And for those who are remaining on earth, it'll just be kind of an instantaneous like, like, like translation or evaporation or, or, or some kind of that. Um, after which believers on earth will live for seven years. There, there's other modified systems of this, but that's kind of the classic one that gets popularized. Um, while I, I respect the nuances and the biblical complexities that our, our pre-tribulation um, dispensational brothers and sisters in Christ are trying to formulate, I fundamentally think that the system is not the correct uh, way to interpret the Bible. Mm-hmm. And and I think when Christ returns, it will be only one coming. It will be a visible coming. It will be a coming when he comes to judge the heavens and the earth. It will be at a day and an hour when no one knows that can't be quote, quote unquote predicted or, 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 or pinpointed, you know, or something like that. And as Philippians will put it, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow and will confess that Jesus is Lord. It will not be something that is unknown or unaware. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Can you read that again one more time? Yeah. If Jesus returned without a rapture, would any Christian believe or even know? I just don't even know. Like, to me, that's confusing. Would any Christian believe without the rapture? I mean, I I would have to say, well, don't you already believe? I I think what the question is playing out is like, let's let's take the rapture out of the equation. I think that the the thinker or or, or the, the question is assuming that something like the rapture is going, is to, going happen. to happen. I think yeah. that's a big assumption that needs to be challenged already. Yeah. But let's say he came like before the rapture. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're talking in strange hypothetical categories, which the Bible seems to preclude as being realities of what will happen. So, I mean, if we're just in the realm of conjecture, I mean, anything goes, I suppose. But again, yeah. it's not really rooted or based well, at this point in anything <clears throat> that the history of the church or the biblical witness has attested to. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be a while because I follow several time travelers on TikTok. <laughs> and one of them's from 2684 and he's never oh. brought it up. Oh, so okay, I, well, yeah, easily. Yeah. 2684. Yeah, 2684. Yeah. Will I still be alive? Let's yeah. see. Years. My grand, my great <laughs> uncle was the oldest man in Nebraska at 110 years old. Wow. Yeah. Huh? He made 110. 110. You're kidding me. <clears throat> I asked him what his secret was. He said a Miller Lite every day. I said, <laughs> That's crazy because I would think that'd kill you. Right. Miller Lite. Oh, gosh. Yeah, but like there was another Here's woman. the real question, Steve. Is that worth price? You know, is, is 110 worth having to do a Miller Lite day? I don't know. And I don't know <laughs> that I would really want to live to 110. I won't was he, know was, was he fairly, you know. Absolutely. All he was all equal, with like it. lucid and active. Yep. And we went to his strong. 110th birthday party and like you could hold conversations That's with him cool. just fine. That's fantastic. Yeah, he's in a wheelchair. But. Yeah. There was at the same time he was tied with another woman in Nebraska at 110. What is this part in Nebraska? I don't the know. Miller Lite, I guess, is in the water. Yeah, that's there. what it is. That's <laughs> what know? we tap. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I said, well, you know, I mean, if whoever wants the bragging rights of this, let's just put you in a room, let go at it. Whoever comes out in the end is the oldest person in Nebraska. Then, right? Um, fight to the death. Yeah, fight to the death. <laughs> Cage match. Yeah. Yeah, Thunderdome. Two minutes <laughs> or one the, That would be the most boring fight I've ever <laughs> the, seen. The Hunger Games for 90 years yeah. and above. Yeah. So what is Nebraska, Steve? I mean, I know in this mm. day and age, everything's available anywhere. But remember when you used to only be able to get like cores, like if you were like West Colorado? Yeah. yeah. Or stuff like that. So, so you know, Miller is a Milwaukee brand, at least traditionally. I don't know who owns them now. Just like Budweiser, I think is owned by some group out of Brazil, isn't it? Yeah, the only the only thing people in Nebraska drink is Mad Dog Twenty Twenty. Mad Dog Twenty Twenty. (laughs) (laughs) Only because you can get that at church too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, there's a lot of of, uh, local breweries now popping up. You know, I mean, there is all over the country. So a lot of home breweries. You know, people like to experiment and whatnot. But a lot of misconceptions too. I remember as a kid. excuse me, my dad was, uh, he grew up in Michigan Mm. and, uh, we would go back there. And I remember some of the kids there asking me if I was scared to live in Nebraska. I said, why would I be scared to live in Nebraska? Well, aren't you, you know, they're under the assumption that we're still riding around in covered wagons and that there was native (laughs) Americans trying to get us. Yeah. Right. It's like, wow. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you're like, check your timelines. You're right. Bit. You're yeah. in Michigan. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. We had, we had running water. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And your is no, that's Oklahoma. You're right. Of, you know? <laughs> that's Arkansas. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which 
hopefully if, if you're listening from Arkansas, we love you. We, <laughs> um, we have a text in question here specifically for Steve. Oh boy. Okay. Jeez. Here we go. This is pressure. Does Steve wear anything other than black? <laughs> uh, my closet. We had some guests over the other night. And, you know, they were, they'd never they been were to our house. They were rooting around in your closet because that's what guests They had they never have. been to our house before. And so, of course, <laughs> let me show you my closet. Barbie's <laughs> taking them through our bedroom. They go yeah. through the closet because you have to get, you have to get, in order to get to our master bath, you have to go through our closet. Well, of course, my closet is mainly black clothes. Well, there's a there's a pop up of a few like I remember when I wore that green shirt. I remember that green and shirt. Everybody's yeah. like, "Oh my goodness, who are you?" You know, <laughs> like, talk about giving you a stigma. You'll never wear another color again. You know. So yes, I primarily wear black because I like the way black looks, but that's not the reason I wear black. I wear black because of the Johnny Cash song "Man in Black." Hmm. So if you ever have a a reason as to like, well, I don't even know what that song means. Go look it up. Go look up the lyrics very profound you know like it's i just gotta tell you steve i'm glad that you're following johnny cash and not pink true <laughs> yes there's a lot of other people that i could be following that i'm choosing not to <laughs> andy garcia all the way right yeah you know, right yeah tie dyed yeah I, I couldn't pull it off i couldn't do it hawaiian shirts birkenstocks, steve. Man. hawaiian yeah. shirts birkenstocks with socks yeah you know that's a pet peeve of mine I have a friend of mine in Nebraska that wears those all the time. I'm like, what are you doing? You don't wear Birkenstocks <laughs> with socks. I'm sorry. But you do, then you do in the winter, but you do now because my daughter is wearing them at age 14. And it's like, I keep calling her this guy's name, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> so if I was a, I see my, if I was to call her Jerry, would she like, no? yeah, she would, would totally she, know. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Only if she's wearing the Birkenstocks with socks. Yeah. No. yeah. Like, okay. Hey Jerry. Well, fun, fun <laughs> fact. Right. My, I think my sophomore year of high school or sophomore or junior year, I wore Birkenstocks every day of the school year. Like the same pair. So oh, snow, rain. Too. Well, I wore them with yeah. socks. Oh, you wore them with socks. So yeah. that, that was your pitiable fashion choice. Mm -hmm. Like, have you ever had, Steve, like like an era where you look back where like that was just the wrong move? Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, what was it for you? Um, like, it Steve was, had hair. Yeah. I had hair, yeah, yeah. at that <laughs> point. Did you mull it out? Um, no, I had a rat tail at one point. You did have a rat tail. Yeah, when okay. I was probably eight. We got to get a picture, put it up on the Facebook, you know. You, you yeah, wouldn't even recognize it. You would not even recognize That's all right. it. That's yeah. all right. We got three minutes, so we're going to continue to talk about my fashion. <laughs> all right, Steve's fashion all right. choices. We got three. Yeah, three. Well, minutes I mean, we can. I'll talk about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> the different, the different <laughs> timelines and you know fads that we all go through. I loved like Vanilla Ice, MC Hammer, but I really like high school years. I loved Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. And so, of course, when you're listening to that stuff, you tend to dress like Oh, yeah, you so lean that way a little the, bit. The White Sox hat, you know, because yeah. that's what Dr. Dre repped, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's like now Man, I'm Adidas, right? Now I've got White Sox license plates on my vehicles, right. you know? Right. So I'm still repping Dr. Dre. You and Dre. <laughs> still, still, you're still very, very uh, tight. I'm still, yeah, yeah I haven't. I'm down. Um, I think this this is a quick one and a good one to end on. Um, and it's relating back to the idea of the conversation you have around the fire that night. You know, if you were in Jesus' time, um, how confident do you believe you could have identified him in his own time, meaning Jesus? How confident am I that I could have identified Jesus in his own time? If I was just passing him on the street, not confident at all. But the thing about Jesus in his own time is he had a huge following. People, the word got out about him. And something tells me just like today, um, you kind of go where the crowd goes. You follow what the crowd is doing. You see what the crowd is saying. And he would be pretty identifiable pretty quick. You know, when someone's going around teaching the way he did, which is unique with that kind of authority, doing the miracles that he did, treating people with the compassion that he did, showing himself and revealing what he was doing by the power of God, often in the ways. But yeah, there were many times when Jesus would go to a town and he'd be rejected. He wouldn't be known. He would try to kind of play it undercover. He's trying to run from town to town. Um, I think it would be very similar if I was there. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Well, guys, uh, that's all we got time for today. So thank you for listening to questions you never thought you could ask in church. If we didn't get to your question today, it's in our inbox. We will get to it next week. We broadcast live every week on Wednesdays at 1230 Central. Catch us in podcast if you've missed one of the episodes. Um, you can text those questions in anytime, 24-7 to 815-314-0363. Visit us on 216 The Net or on Facebook. 
um, at Fellowship of Faith. Come visit us at fellowshipoffaith.org. Um, tune in with us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. as well for, for our worship service and, and the teaching that we have there. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. Steve, Andrew, great yep. stuff here. One more thing before we close. Look, we've got uh, two responses. So now everybody who wears socks with, with uh, Burks, we're going to start calling Jerry. All right. All right. M- make it your new trend. Make it make it your life quest this uh, week. All right. Every sweet tooth. A lot of kids going to be called Jerry this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.